the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Christ is risen. Christos anesti. Christos was grassy. El Messiah come. Christ is risen. Um, the, the former head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, Tony Dungy, he has a saying that um, when it comes to evaluating football players and their talents, um, you can have all the skills in the world, but if you're always hurt, it never helps the team. So he says, sometimes the best ability is availability. The best ability is availability. You might have all sorts of talents to offer the church, but if you're never around, it's really hard to use those talents. And on this Sunday, um, the third Sunday of Pascha, the second Sunday after Pascha, the church always commemorates the noble Joseph, Nicodemus, and the myrrh-bearing women. And the church commemorates these people because they are the ones who were there when Christ died. They were the ones who cared for his body, took it from the cross, wrapped it reverently, did everything they could. And the remainder of that Holy Friday and laid the Lord in the tomb. It's also fitting that this year, this Sunday falls on May 8th, which is the day every year that we commemorate St. John, the theologian, the youngest disciple, and he was the only one who happened to stay at the cross with Jesus. He was there with Mary, the Theotokos. So why do we commemorate the noble Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, and Nicodemus and the Myrbarian women on this Sunday, on this third Sunday of Pascha? Because the church is reminding us, the church is reminding us that it is deeply important to be faithful. And to be faithful does not mean simply to have mental agreement or ad mental adherence to some teachings. That is simply agreement. But in Greek, the word faith and the word belief are the same. I, they're the same. In the Creed, the Nicene Creed, we say, I believe in one God. I believe, I believe. I believe in the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And in Greek, that word is pistevo. It's a verb. And it's, we get the word faith from the same root. Pistis. Pistis and pistevo. So to say, I believe, you're literally saying, I faith. Not just I have faith. It's not a passive thing. It's not a noun. It's an active verb. Faith is an action verb. 
Faith is an action. And these saints that are put before us exhibited their faith through their love of the Lord. Now, there are many other saints who love the Lord, including the disciples. But in that moment, when Christ was arrested, the disciples fled. They scattered. Their faith was weak. Their love waned. They became very afraid. The disciples scattered. The women stayed. The disciples fled. The women faithfully finished the job. They finished their acts of love and of mercy. Now, these are women who were with the Lord throughout His ministry. Christ had the twelve disciples, but there's also a bigger group. And this traveling band, so to speak, like, who was taking care of them? The women. Right? Who's feeding them? The women. Now, it just so happens that Jesus is related to half of these people. Okay, so I'm going to go through the list of the myrrh-bearing women. Let me see if I can find it here. First of all, it's important to remember that the most prominent of the myrrh-bearing women was his mother. Was his mother. She's referred to as Mary, the mother of James, because she was a stepmother. James is the son of Joseph, the betrothed. Mary is the stepmother. Right? So she's referred to as Mary, the mother of James and Joses. Okay? There was also Mary Magdalene, whom Jesus healed. Mary, the wife of Cleopas. Right? Cleopas is the one who was on the road to Emmaus with Luke that afternoon. So Mary, his wife, goes to the tomb, sees it is empty, goes home, tells her husband, hey, the Lord is risen. We saw these angels. It really happened. And then later we have an account from Luke that Luke and Cleopas are talking about this and, and don't really believe it. They don't believe it. They don't understand either. So there's Mary the Theotokos, Mary Magdalene, Mary the wife of Cleopas, Joanna the wife of Chusa, and Chusa was a servant of Herod, the household manager, and Christ had healed Joanna. So there's like some risk here for Joanna, right? There's Salome, the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Salome was also a daughter of Joseph the betrothed. So Mary the Theotokos was her stepmother even though Salome was older. There's Susanna and Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, and I've heard recently that there's a pretty good chance that Jesus might have been related to them as well. So there are eight total of these women. The Gospels mention a few by name, but it says, and others with them. Okay, so there are eight that the church holds in tradition. And these women, their faith was so great that they knew that they needed to give the Lord a proper burial. They knew they needed to give Him a proper burial. And so as the afternoon is coming to a close, the next day is the Sabbath. They have to do everything they can on that Holy Friday. 
So they take him from the cross, they anoint him as best as they can, and they wrap him in a clean linen, linen shroud, and they lay him in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, which happened to be there in the garden where, where, he, was, um, where he was crucified. And so the Lord who came from a virgin womb is now laid in a virgin tomb. But they didn't finish the funeral according to the Jewish law, according to the prescriptions. But the next day is the Sabbath, and the Sabbath actually starts at sundown. And of course, the sky was already dark because the sun hid its rays, right? Kind of hard to tell when the sun goes down when it's that dark anyway. So they did what they could, faithfully, obediently, lovingly. The next day is the Sabbath. They rest, they pray, they grieve. And then before the sun even comes up on the third day, on Sunday morning, they're already heading back to the tomb. And they're going even though they have no idea how they're going to get in. First, they're going to meet a team of G.I. Joes stationed at the tomb, right, as security. Because the Pharisees asked the Romans for soldiers to make the tomb secure so the disciples couldn't steal Christ. So first, now they were planning on just asking, hey, can we go in, right? We're not going to steal him. You can watch us, but we need to finish this. But still, like, that's kind of intimidating, you would think. And then there's the question of who's going to roll back the stone because they certainly weren't expecting the Roman soldiers to help them. Who's going to do that? So they go with these questions unanswered. We don't know how this is going to work, but we're going anyway because this is what we're supposed to do. That's called faith. That's called love. And then, of course, we know the story. They show up at the tomb and the stone has been rolled back. Not so that Jesus can get out. He got out before the stone was rolled away. The stone is rolled away so they can get in and see that the tomb is empty. <coughs> so, the church tells us that this faithfulness is important. It's important to finish what we start. And that applies on so many different levels. So many different levels. I mean, if you put a load of laundry in the washing machine and stop it halfway through the cycle, it's not really going to be as clean as you want it to be. Right? You're going to have a little situation on your hands. If you start making dinner for your family and then stop halfway through before it's completed, everyone's going to be like, what's the deal? What's going on? Right? There are so many things that we finish, and yet there are so many things that we don't finish, especially spiritually. Especially spiritually. Just think to yourself, ask yourself, how many New Year's resolutions have gone uncompleted? How many diets or exercise plans have I not even attempted that I said I would? 
How many thank you cards are left unwritten? How many gifts are left ungiven? How many grudges are held on to? And how much forgiveness is held back? Some things are, it's better if we don't finish them. Like sin, when we're tempted. Like, oh no, I'm being tempted. Some things are better not to follow through on. But when it comes to virtue and when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, it is important to follow through. It is important to be faithful. And the Lord doesn't expect us to be perfect. He expects us to be faithful. He promises that we will be perfect. But first we have to be faithful. You see the difference? He doesn't say you must be perfect. He says you will be perfect. But the expectation is that we're faithful to His commandments. We're faithful to His love. We're faithful to His life. And that we follow through on the most sacred vow that we take. And that is to align ourselves with Christ and to believe in Him. And we take that vow at our baptism. Some of you might argue, well, I didn't take that vow. I was baptized as an infant and somebody else vowed that for me, so I'm off the hook. Mm, wrong. Sorry. Doesn't work that way. So that baptismal vow, that baptismal promise to align ourselves with Christ, to renounce the devil... And to live a life in which we try to keep our baptismal garment undefiled. That is the most important thing that we can follow through on. That is the most important thing that we can be faithful with. Now, this following through and being faithful, it applies on all sorts of levels, right? We do need to finish what we start. But most importantly... Not exclusively, but most importantly, we need to follow through on our salvation. Because ultimately, what we want is we want to be able to speak the way that St. Paul does at the end of his life. We want to be able to say, as he says to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, St. Paul tells his disciple... He says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Another translation is, I have been faithful. I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I have been faithful. Now, I'm, I've never done it myself. I've never run a marathon. I don't even think I've run a 5K. Um, but, for those who have run a marathon or have run a long endurance race, you know it's difficult, and you know there's a lot of training that goes into it, and there's normally a point where you probably want to quit. Anything that we've done that's hard, there's normally a point where we want to quit and we want to give up and say it's just not worth it. I failed at this, I'll take my F, and I'll get out of here. But it's really important for our salvation that we struggle through things even to the end. I read a story about a woman 
who runs a New York City Marathon. She runs the New York City Marathon on crutches. Takes her about 24 hours to finish. But come hell or high water, she's going to cross that finish line. Right? She's not first. She's normally last. But she finishes. That's what's important. What's important is whatever vow we take, whatever promise we make, that we follow through on that all the way to the end. And in this culture, in this day and age, too many things are too easy to get out of. Especially, and most importantly, marriage. People get married, and then they get divorced like it's no big deal. It is a big deal. Right? Because love is a choice. Love is a choice. It's not just a feeling. And so, when we're faithful to the Lord, when we follow through on our spiritual endeavors, when we follow Christ wholeheartedly, we're choosing to love Him the way that these women loved Him. We're choosing to love Him the way that John the theologian loved Him. We're choosing to follow Him even to the cross and even to death. Why did Christ give his mother into the care of John when Christ had stepbrothers who were good people, who could have taken care of her? I don't have all the reasons and I don't know exactly why, but one reason I have heard is that John was there. He was there. So, brothers and sisters, let us all follow through on our spiritual journey. Let us all run the good race. Let us fight the good fight. And even when we're not good at fighting the good fight, let us continue to fight. Let us continue to fight. One of my, one of my favorite spiritual images is that of Rocky, the movie Rocky. Rocky 1, not Rocky 27 or whatever they're up to. Rocky 1, he goes 15 rounds with Apollo Creed and he loses. He loses. He gets his brains beat in. And he's still standing at the end of round 15. He doesn't get knocked out. And why is it like this great achievement? Because he had no chance. He wasn't very good, but he kept getting up. And that is the spiritual life. Sometimes we just need to finish the fight and the Lord will reward us accordingly. The Lord will take care of that which we cannot finish ourselves as long as we are faithful. Brothers and sisters, let us look to Joseph and Nicodemus and the myrrh-bearing women and John the evangelist and theologian as our examples of those who are faithful, of those who followed through, of those who completed the course of their spiritual, spiritual journey. <coughs> and when we are lacking, <coughs> when we are lacking strength to continue, when we are lacking resolve to carry on, and when we feel like we just can't get up and fight any longer, let us ask these saints for help. Let us turn to the friends and the family of our Lord and ask them to help us and ask Christ himself to strengthen us, knowing that we cannot do anything without his grace and without his energy. 
to Christ our God, the Savior of our souls, be glory, honor, and worship, together with the Father and the Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Christ is risen. Indeed.